everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by Arizona Republic Diamondbacks beat writer Nick Picoro. Nick's been covering the Diamondbacks system for us for a few years. And Nick, this was a really uh, interesting year to do the Diamondbacks system. They failed to sign first-round pick Matt McClain. Uh, the big league club is in a little bit of a transition period now. Patrick Corbin left in free agency. A.J. Pollock is, as of this recording, still a free agent, has not signed. Paul Goldschmidt's been traded. It's a little bit of a turning the page for the franchise. Uh, but as that's happened, we've seen some prospects kind of rise up. Uh, before we dive into the, the top 10 itself, just what's your overall sense of, of where this team is you know, as a whole, big league level, all the way down through all the levels of the organization? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me, Kyle. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right that uh, it is in a bit of a transition period. It, it's in a bit of a confusing period, I think, for a lot of fans and a lot of people looking on that, you know, you, you trade Goldschmidt, you have these other guys that are likely departing as free agents. Corbin already has. Pollock probably will. Um, and yet they haven't really torn it all the way down um, and are still kind of making, you know, making some comments publicly. Tori Lavello recently last week just was talking about how they're not rebuilding. They love their team, I believe was his quote. And it's just kind of hard to see them as a contender. Um, but yeah, their, their organization, you know, top to bottom, it, it has, it, it, it's, they, they've peeled a lot of pieces away over the last couple of years to, to try to take advantage of this window that they had with all of those guys. So it's not like they've been building, you know, the, the farm system up uh, exclusively uh, lately, but um, you know, they do have some interesting players, and I kind of feel like there's a there's a, a little bit more upside in the system than there has been in years. I don't think that they're in a bad place um, as far as the farm system goes, but they definitely have some room to improve. And, you know, I don't, I don't know where uh, the publication is going to have them, uh, you know, organizationally where they're going to be ranked. I would imagine it's somewhere in the middle or somewhere in the back third, the bottom third. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we look up uh, a year from now and they're in a much stronger position uh, compared to the rest of baseball. No question. You know, we mentioned they, they forfeited a first-round pick to sign Zach Granke, and, and the player they used their first pick of that draft on, Anthony Greer, has not lived up to some hopes and expectations. Uh, 2017 first-rounder Paven Smith uh, had a pretty rough first season. 2018 first-rounder Matt McClain, as we mentioned, didn't sign. So, so the draft, there's been some... Uh, so, some misses and, and missed opportunities. But even with that, you mentioned there is a sense they've hit on some guys taken in later rounds and, and internationally, especially now that they're free from the uh, Yoan Lopez penalty. Uh, and with that, their top prospect, uh, their new number one, is an international guy, Jazz Chisholm. As you were putting this list together and talking with evaluators both inside and outside the Diamondbacks organization, was it crystal clear that Jazz had become the number one prospect in the system, or was there still a little bit of debate with him and some other guys? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we should also mention that Jazz was signed at a at a time when they were still in that penalty box from from Yohan Lopez. So give them credit. Give Craig Shipley, the the signing scout, a lot of credit for for seeing him. Although I I think that everybody with the club would would probably admit that they weren't envisioning Jazz turning into this kind of prospect at least this quickly. Um, yeah, as as far as how he got up there, it, it was a little bit of a a little bit of a debate with with uh, with people that I spoke to, people that seen the system, and people that are that are in the organization as well. 
Um, I, I think that as uh, the minor league season was winding down, um, it was a lot of debate between Chisholm and, and Dalton Varsho. Um, and then, uh, you know, after uh, Duplanier came out healthy in the fall league and, and looked as good as he looked, I think that there were some people that were arguing for him again. Um, but, you know, I, I think that ultimately it just came down to a guy who has some uh, health problems with, with the arm um, in, in Duplanier, just the questions that, that are associated with that. Um, I don't think anybody has any question that when Duplanier is, is out there and pitching, he's, he's very good. Uh, the question is just how often he can do it and just sort of the risk associated with that when you're talking about putting together a, a press list. Um, and Chisholm obviously has questions of his own, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of swing and miss in his game. Um, I, I don't think that he's anything close to a, a, a polished defender yet, a finished product defensively. I mean, there's there's questions about whether that can improve and whether he can stay at short. He has everything everything you you would want to see out of out of a shortstop. Um, but but there's yeah there's there's definitely questions. It just came down to the upside that he can provide and um, and the fact that he had such an uh, explosive uh, season last year uh, and and coming off the fact that he missed a lot of the year before uh, with a knee injury. So you you kind of feel like there's probably even more room for development um, than than normal for a guy his age. Yeah, with Jazz, he you mentioned he had the knee injury. He came back this year and really did not do all that great at least on paper at low class A, Kane County. Received a late season promotion to Visalia and really went off there. Uh, all the offensive numbers ticked up. Some of that is the Cal League and the Park in Visalia, but I know when I was making calls for the Cal League Top 20, which I do every year, every opposing manager was saying, hey, this is real, it's electric. You know, the hands, the, the, just everything about him, both in the box and in the field and on the base pass. And then I went out and saw him in the Fall League for the first time. and. I mean, he blew me away. He was really kind of one of the revelations yeah. of the fall league, just the way scouts saw him. Uh, he was on the taxi squad playing twice a week, and still, he, he made a big impression out there. Um, what, what were you hearing in terms of just the improvement he made? Because it's a pretty you know, long way going from hitting 220 and striking out a bunch in low A to being the talk of the Arizona Fall League in a span of three months. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing that that stood out to me uh, that people with the uh, with the Dimax were saying was was maybe just sort of the the uh, you know he he just had a fire lit under him when he got to Visalia. I think that uh, some of the guys in the Dimax front office came from Boston, and a and a comparison that came to mind for them was Hanley Ramirez in the low minors, and it kind of just felt like you know Hanley just turned it on when he got to the big leagues or when he got you know further along in his career. Because he just didn't feel challenged, he didn't feel like he belonged in the in the lower minor leagues, and I think that there was some of that with with Chisholm. Um, I think he was disappointed to have, to have to be back at Kane County for the second year in a row, and I think that when he finally got up to Visalia, it was like, okay, here here we go. This is where I should have been all along. I, sh- I should have been I should have started the year at this level. This, you know, let me show what I can do. He certainly played up to his competition every time he was challenged. It'll be interesting to see him uh, move forward next year into Double A. Uh, you hit on this a little bit earlier, but that debate for number two between John Duplantier and Dalton Varsho, uh, you know, just to give readers a behind-the-scenes view uh, back here at Baseball America, um, you know, you and I had a lot of phone calls and conversations about that discussion, and it seemed like it came down to, you know, John Duplantier, you know, healthy John Duplantier is, you know, talent-wise the number two guy, but there's a lot greater confidence that Dalton Varsho, when we look back 10 years from now, might have accumulated a, a better big league career just because of the health aspects. Um, overall, just you know, in this process, 
how are those two things weighted? You know, how close were they for you? Just, just what was the overall, you know, Varsho versus Duplantier matchup, if you will? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, and I, I think that was a big part of it. With, with, uh, with Varsho, I just, I feel like, I feel like the floor is pretty high. You know, I, mean, I, I think that with, uh, with him, um, he's almost certainly going to be a big leaguer of some kind and, and a productive one, probably for a little, for a while. You know, I, I could see him having a long career. Um, he's done nothing but hit since he's, since he's been a professional. Um, I mean, he obviously hit well in, in a, a second tier college league as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the questions that come with that from, you know, not playing at a major conference, um, to coming into pro ball, he, he put those to rest right away. Um, if he winds up sticking behind the plate, which it sure seems like more and more people believe that he will, um, the, the scouts that I spoke to that, that saw him a lot in Visalia, uh, saw improvement, um, and they see a guy that that has a lot of energy, that that wants to learn, that has good baseball instincts, all of that. Um, you know, if, if that's a, a left-handed hitting catcher with a you know a little bit of pop in the bat, uh, that's obviously a, a huge, hugely valuable piece. Um, add in that he can run the way that he can run. Um, the fact that if catching doesn't work out, or even if it does, that he can move around the diamond, perhaps that that this is like an Austin Barnes type of athlete. Um, that you know, maybe maybe the grueling nature of catching uh, prevents him from playing, you know, behind the plate 130 times. But maybe he's behind the plate 100 times and out at second base or left field or wherever, another 30 or 40. I don't know. Um, you know, that's that's another way that he can be a, a, a highly valuable player. So that's that's why a lot of people were, you know, there there were a handful of people that were pushing for him or, or really, you know, would tell me like, man, you know, I have no problem if you put Dalton Varsho as, as our number one, you know, guys in the organization saying that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Duplantier, I, I do feel like there's a chance that, you know, I could look up a year from now um, and Duplantier stays healthy, um, makes 25, 30 starts, uh, you know, however many of them in the big leagues, and being like, oh man, I really should have had him as the number one. But uh, I, I just did feel like the, the the health track record dating back to Rice, um, you know, stretching into his first season as a pro. Um, now I did stay healthy in his first full year, uh, but then popping back up again, and just like the level of caution that the club, um, you know, kind of exercised with handling him coming back from his injuries, also gave me a little bit of pause. Um, you know, they, they were just taking it so careful with him. It just makes you wonder how long it's going to last. Yeah, there's no question. And you mentioned it seemed encouraging that first season he came out in 20, uh, 2017, ran through the A-ball levels, led, uh, not only did he lead the minors in ERA, but he actually had the lowest ERA of any starting pitcher since Justin Verlander when in 2005 and did it while staying healthy the whole season and, and staying strong through the season. He really finished strong. Uh, so you thought, hey, maybe he's turned the corner here, turned the page, and then this season right away he's on the DL and has another flare-up later. Um, at the same time, though, and you alluded to this a little bit, you know, during the season uh, when we were doing some Southern League calls, everyone liked him, but it was you know, still 92-94. Fall League came around, and it seemed like that's when he really got back to full health. Uh, when I saw him, it was one of the best pitchers I'd seen all year anywhere. It was 94-96. Both the slider and curveball were getting plus grades from scouts in attendance. And, you know, the guy they were seeing that night was not just a mid-rotation starter. It was, it was possibly more. Um, and even on his, you know, quote-unquote bad days, people still see probably a three or, or a lot of number four starters. So 
it seems like the talent's there pretty consistently, even when he's quote-unquote bad. It's just, like you said, that the health. And, and I feel like you can look at it one of two ways. One hand, everyone gets hurt. You look at our list of pitching prospects in the minors, and almost all of them have had an injury. On the other hand, repeated injury after repeated injury after repeated injury, it, it does start to take a toll. Yeah, and you you did allude to something that I heard, even dating back to his 2017 season, that, that, that really strong first full year that he had. Um, it depended on the scout that you talked to, but some guys that would, you know, that, that crossed paths with him in May saw a, a way different guy than those that crossed paths with him in July. It, it does seem like the quality of this stuff uh, can kind of fluctuate um, from outing to outing. Uh, look, I mean, I've covered enough baseball to know that that's, that's the case with a lot of guys. That was the case with Patrick Corbin just this past season. In April, he was uh, two or three miles an hour up from what he was the, the rest of the season in terms of fastball velocity. Um, now he was still able to be, to maintain his effectiveness throughout the season, and just like just like uh, Duplantier was able to maintain his effectiveness, but it does give uh, scouts a little bit of pause uh, to get too excited about a guy if uh, if they're seeing different like kind of vastly different versions of him in the minors because you just don't know how the the, the lesser version is going to play at the big league level. Absolutely. From the outside looking in, it would seem like the num- those you know number one, two, and three prospects Chisholm, Varsho, Duplantier is kind of the, the tier one, and then it seems like there is a drop-off uh, as you move from you know number four, five, six, guys who are high upside but much further away. Uh, in the course of your reporting, is, is that you know fair to say that you know one to three is kind of the tier one of D-backs prospects, and there is a little bit of a, of a shade of difference uh, moving into numbers you know four, five, six? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely prior to the Carson Kelly acquisition, I, I guess it just sort of depends on, on where you rank Carson Kelly. He's a guy that I, uh, you know, I obviously didn't write uh, the report on him um, because he wasn't on the Diamondbacks at the time that the Cardinals report was being written. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, just, just how gung-ho people would be in terms of pushing him up into that next group. Obviously, the Diamondbacks think very highly of him. Um, but the, the next tier uh, behind them are, is kind of the like the the guys you can really dream on, uh, and the guys with with pretty huge upside, but guys that are just so far away, and and you know their paths are are just so uncertain because there's so many questions and so many things for them still to to kind of prove, um, you know, over the next couple of years. We we could we could look up, you know, I mean Christian Robinson has all the ability in the world. I mean he could be. He could be Eloy Jimenez a year from now, right? I mean, and, and Perdomo could could be, you know, a, a big prospect in his own right. There's just there's just so much uncertainty with them. Yeah, that was an interesting discussion. You know, those two I, again. Robinson kind of has some more name recognition just from being the big bonus guy. What in your discussions with evaluators ultimately led you to rank Perdomo ahead of Robinson? Uh, I think that the the. Uh, two things with Perdomo, um, kind of the ease with which he plays shortstop, and the fact that he's he's such a no-brainer of of a big league shortstop in in evaluators' minds. Um, everything is just smooth. Everything is easy. It it just it just looks like he makes plays effortlessly, um, which is you know that's what the really good big league shortstops look like, right? Um, and then the other thing is is the the plan of attack, the fact that he has, uh, you know, a really good eye. He, he just seems to know what he's doing when he goes up there at the plate. He just, he, he's hunting for his pitch. He's able to lay off the bad ones. Um, and guys that have that kind of plate discipline, that kind of strike zone awareness, um, and, you know, can mix in, obviously, the ability to impact the baseball a little bit, 
those guys don't turn into nothing usually. You know, those guys don't flame out. Those are those are big leaguers, one way or the other. Maybe he's a bench bench player in the long run. Maybe he's a, a super utility type. Um, maybe he's a whole lot more than that. Um, now Christian Robinson, like, yeah, that guy could end up um, could end up like I said, uh, we could we could be talking about him as a top fifty prospect in baseball a year from now. Um, we also could see him as, uh, you know, maybe he never gets out of high A, right? I mean, that, that's just the kind of profile that we have with him right now. Um, and that's, you know, no fault of his own. In, in a lot of ways, he's from a country that doesn't have an awful lot of uh, big league, uh, well, professional baseball infrastructure, I should say. Um, he has limited experience against, uh, against upper-level arms. Um, and that said, he held him, he held his own really well considering his age, uh, this past year. Um, but you know, there's still some swing and miss concerns. Um, and, uh, and he just hasn't, he just hasn't done it at high enough levels and exhibited the same, um, sort of, I don't want to call it mastery, but like, you know, uh, just, just, uh, you know, ability, I suppose, at the plate, um, as others yet. Absolutely. It's going to be really interesting to watch Christian Robinson this upcoming season. You mentioned, you know, the potential to be a top 50 prospect, but uh, there's also some things to work on. I know for me, he's going to be one guy. I'm going to be very curious to see uh, how he fares this upcoming season. Moving into the back of this list, there's a, we mentioned, you know, they've had some troubles at the beginning of their drafts, but they've found some guys in the second, third rounds, and, and in one case in particular, in a, a double-digit round, and uh, they've had some success there. When you were putting together the back of this list, how many names were, were really in consideration? I think it's fair to say the top six or seven were probably safely top ten, but overall, how many names at the back of the list were really in consideration for you? Um, I think it kind of started to, to crystallize um, uh, maybe like the top 25 or so, and I'm not, I don't want to draw the line firmly there. We're going to be on this list one way or the other. Um, maybe the last five uh, were a little bit more up in the air. Um, and I think that there were probably three or four guys that I, I kind of felt bad leaving out that I, you know, you know how it is. Like you, you do these lists cause you, you want to be a little bit ahead of the curve. Right. And so there's a few guys that, that you kind of just want to sneak on there. So you can be like, ah, you see, I told you, I told you a year later to keep an eye on this guy. Um, and there were a few of those guys that got left off. Um, they're mostly Latin American signs. Like, I guess a couple of guys like Jorge Barrosa and uh, Leo Verpaguero, um, a couple, couple of guys that come to mind for me. Um, but by and large, I, I felt like the, the, you know, there's depth in the system, but there's not so much that it was like a flurry of guys that I was, I was struggling to, to uh, find a way on there. I don't think that the system is that deep. Um, I think that if they had held off from making a lot of the trades that they made uh, over the course of the previous, say, 12 months, where they moved guys like uh, Yohan Duran, Gabriel Maciel, Curtis Taylor, Colin Pochet, Sam McWilliams, um, that would have made it a whole lot harder. Um, Tommy Eveld is another, uh, Wei J. Wong, uh, Michael Perez. There's, there were a lot. They, they moved a lot of players trying to take advantage of that window, like I said. Um, so that, that kind of opened it up a little bit for me. Um, I do feel like, uh, they have what, I think eight of the top, what is it, seven or eight of the top 80 picks in, in next year's draft. 
um, it could be a really difficult list to put together um, next year. Absolutely. One final guy we do need to ask about just because the prominence of him um, was Paven Smith, uh, top 10 overall pick a year ago. Uh, did not finish in the in the top 10 prospects uh, of the Diamondbacks list this year. You can see where he is uh, if you buy the prospect handbook, but you'll see, you know, not only was he not in the top 10, he wasn't 11, 12, or 13 either. Um, I know the type of feedback I got in his season. Um, there was a little bit uh, more improvement toward the end of the year, uh, and he did go play in the Arizona Fall League. Overall, what was, what was the kind of sense you got on him and, and where he stands now within the organization? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people were disappointed by the showing. Um, I think a lot of scouts um, are still hesitant to bury him entirely. Uh, you know, I mean, a, a guy that's picked that high in the draft, number seven overall, a guy that hits that much at a at a you know a tough conference and a tough league um, in college. Um, I, I I think everybody wants to give him credit for that, and I think everybody's cognizant of the pressures that come along with being taken that high. Um, that, that are put on you by others and that you put on yourself uh, to live up to those expectations. So, you know, baseball, baseball is such a difficult game and everybody is, is aware of that, that they, that they kind of want to cut him some slack. But the, um, you know, kind of lack of impact uh, that he showed as a hitter, um, just kind of the middling athleticism, um, the kind of back to, back to his offensive profile, kind of the lack of aggressiveness that he showed at times at the plate for a lot of people. Um, that, that was a concern. Um, and the people that, that even were, were high on him or, or, you know, at least like positive, uh, weren't overly positive, you know? I mean, they were like looking at him in sort of a, neither a, a, a bench bat type of, of profile or, or a, you know, second division at best type of regular first baseman sort of in the James Loney mold. Um, you know, that's a pretty disappointing player for, for a top 10 pick. Um, and it's disappointing that it's kind of looking that way this quickly in his career. Um, but that said, that's, that is the, the sort of upside of it, right? That it is still very early in his career, that he's still figuring some things out and that people still see, uh, you know, they see the, the ability to impact the ball. They see the raw power in batting practice. They just see a guy that hasn't figured out how to tap into it consistently in games. He will definitely be interesting uh, to watch as he moves up to double-A next year. Nick, just to wrap up here, you know, we talk about the Diamondbacks being in a state of transition. They were a playoff team in 2017. 2018, they were in first place for all but really the final month of the season. Uh, you mentioned, you know, now 2019 moving forward. There, there are still some pieces at the big league level. Jake Lamb, Eduardo Escobar, Robbie Ray, and Zach Greinke are still in the rotation as of this recording. With some of the guys now in this system, Duplantier, Varsho, Chisholm in full season ball, reasonably could help the next year or two, plus all this, these guys coming up behind them uh, on the international circuit. In your estimation, how far away are the Diamondbacks from returning to playoff contention, and, and what's that timeline look like for you? That's a really good question. I, I don't know. I, I think they're still a little ways away. It's just hard to draw like straight lines between you know Perdomo and Robinson and Alec Thomas and Blaze Alexander to the big leagues, and, and not just to the big leagues, but to a you know contending big league club. Um, and as I said, I mean, Chisholm has questions of his own. Uh, Duplantier has a lot of questions, as we talked about, right? I mean, there, 
they don't really have um, much in the system in terms of guys that you can kind of safely say, like, okay, that guy is going to be a guy, you know. Um, they don't really have much of that at the moment. Um, maybe those guys are there, uh, and we're going to notice that over the, the course of next season. Um, and also, you know, I, I think another part of the equation is just how uh, totally they are willing to, to tear this group apart um, in hopes of getting pieces that can help going forward. I think that if uh, Robbie Ray pitches like his 2017 self uh, to open 2019, um, that that's a guy that's going to have a lot of value to a contending team because he can impact a couple of different pennant races. Um, you know, if David Peralta swings the bat the way that he did, um, that's a, that's the same thing. And these are all guys that are, are have their have their years of control dwindling. So I mean, this coming season could end up being a big year, um, you know, for for Mike Hazen and company to swing some deals. Uh, you know. That that kind of capitalize on on value in season, and maybe uh, you know further position them um, down the road. But it's it's hard to see it being a you know a really quick one. Um, but I you know I don't think it's also going to be like an Astros or, or Cubs thing where it's going to take six seven years. Uh, but uh, but we'll, you know we'll just have to see it. it. It really does depend on the decisions they make. And, and as I mentioned earlier, they've got that draft coming up. That's it's going to be a really a really big factor um, to replenish the system even further. Absolutely. It'll definitely be an interesting year to watch for, uh, for the Diamondbacks and their fans. Nick, thank you so much, as always, for joining us and uh, both for uh, your work on the Prospect Handbook and uh, joining us on the podcast today. Awesome, Kyle. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Diamondbacks Prospects podcast. For Nick Prokoro, I'm Kyle Glazer. We'll see you next time.